We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, boys and girls, to the Week 12 GoCast here on the Roto-Grinders Podcast Network. I'm Sammy Reed. We are missing Davis Maddox. He's on a long trip in the middle of a snowstorm, so wish him Godspeed. But I'm here with Nate Noling. Nate, let's break down this Sunday, man. How was your day? Uh, ended up doing all right. I think I got uh, 174 in cash, so uh, ended up being a profitable day, which was good, and then showdown worked out. This afternoon or tonight, whatever you want. Let's uh let, let's talk a little bit about our conversations this morning because every Sunday, every Sunday morning, you know, I wake up early. It's like the only day of the week I can stand to wake up early. But I pop out of bed and I already have a bunch of texts from you and Davis and and uh, we had some back and forth. Tell me a little bit about how this went for you. Well, I mean, we were going back and forth because I think this was again the later we get in the season, the harder especially this week with Thanksgiving being on Thursday, a lot of great games being gone. This was a pretty gross slate. Like the value that I felt like we had to go to, to make it work. Like you were either doing something gross at running back. You were either punting with wide receivers that we didn't feel good about with the AJ green news. There were some guys that I was pretty high on earlier in the week. So it was a tough, it was a tough, um, tough week for us in cash I think just trying to figure out like where we all felt the most comfortable in and Eckler all week I thought you know if if Melvin Gordon is out and then the Melvin Gordon he's gonna play he wants to play the team doesn't want him to play he's gonna play I'm like so we talked about Eckler a lot this morning yeah and I uh and and full disclosure like I roasted you for having him in your cash game lineup I was like dude you can't play Eckler and frankly I stand by it. I, I really do. I don't think he was a good cash game play, but I kept him in GPPs because I thought there was certainly upside there. I thought Gordon could come out of the game early, um, all that stuff. I thought he'd still get work, but I didn't like him in cash. And you were like, I don't care. I'm going to keep him in cash. And I like roasted you for it. 
Well, I mean, so here was my thought. So I sent over a lineup at like 11.55 that had Saquon, Christian McCaffrey, and Eckler. And you were like, Nate, Nate, you have four minutes. Get this done. Like, you cannot play Eckler. You cannot play Eckler. Davis is like, do it. Davis is like, do it. Here's my thought on Eckler. If Gordon – like, there was still a chance that Gordon throughout the day was going to be ruled inactive before the game started. We didn't know. There was no other running back to pivot to, but there was a chance. So, like, from a range of outcome standpoint, that was reasonable. The other reasonable outcome was they were, what was it, 14-and-a-half-point spread. And I figured at halftime, if, even if Gordon was active and did play, if, if, if they got up to a huge lead, I'd figured we'd get at least half of the game of Eckler getting run. Um, because it was a 14 and a half point spread and they're not going to throw Melvin out if he's banged up to finish out a game if it's not within. So I just thought that Eckler had a decent floor because of that, because like he wasn't going to zero and I thought his ceiling was massive. So, but you talked to me and I'm, and you probably were right. I got off of him uh, and pivoted over to the uh, Gus lineup. Um, which in cash worked out fine. I mean, everybody was on Gus Edwards. He was, what was he the highest owned in the $25? He was 36% owned. So, I mean, he was, he had higher ownership than guys like Saquon and Connor. I think uh, Adams had fairly similar ownership to him. Okay. Yeah. I think Gus and Adams were the two highest uh, running backs. Um, yeah. But... Because you had to punt somewhere and yes. those guys were reasonable punts. Yeah. And I, I mean, and then I think up at the top tier, you were stuck on the CMC, Connor, and then Saquon. I think all those three guys cannibalized ownership, and neither one of those three were too high owned. Yeah, they were all about the same. They were all about 20% owned. Yeah. I couldn't believe CMC was only like 15, 18% owned. I was like, when games locked and I only saw that, I felt pretty good. Yeah. And so – I mean, let's kind of let's kind of go through our lineups, but real fast, tell me a little bit. So you're like, you're like making lineups almost and tinkering with your lineup all up until lock. You know what I mean? And for me, I've really kind of come to this place where I like to be pretty settled by Saturday night, and I'm not always because there is some stuff that you need to work out Sunday morning. But I don't know. Like, how, how do you kind of how do you kind of do your process? Is that something you normally do? Do you try not to, to, to wait till the last minute or, or what kind of goes down with that? No. So I've been, uh, I think in the past I used to try to be a lot more settled during the week and I would spend time on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, and I think the more I realized the more, um, like just my biases as a player, I would get locked on guys earlier in the week that I probably shouldn't have where I try to build lineups as close to lock as possible. Um, because I want to have all of the information and not be biased where it's like a play on Wednesday and Thursday that I get stuck on because I've seen them in my lineup all week. I, I have biases towards guys like that when I see them and when I make a hundred lineups throughout the week and, and sure. one guy was in all of them. But, um, I also have found personally that just the type of game selection that I do, I get softer games when I'm posting a lot right before lock. Mm-hmm. So like I'll, I'll post a bunch of head to heads and I get some badgeless guys and, and even the three mans and the 50 fifties and the double up seem to be a little bit softer right before lock. So I find that there's a little bit of an edge for me to be as active as possible 
like in the last five to 10 minutes before lock. And so I'm continually working on my projections, working on my lineups in, a, in, in R and then on, on, on DraftKings on the browser, actually like, you know, entering, entering, entering. And then like a minute before lock is when I hit the edit entries button, download, upload, and then like lock it with load. Normally and I then, would say and occasionally like, upload your single entry lineup into your cash games and lose all your money. <laughs> that did happen once, but normally my last lineup, my last like upload is like 10 seconds before lock. And that's like, you know, the final, the final one, but I'm pretty confident in my coding most of the, except for that one week. But um, <laughs> so normally it doesn't bite me in the butt. I know some people like you like to lock it early and I totally get that, but I I'm just more of a, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. For me, I, I feel like too harried. I feel like just too, you know, whacked out when there's, when I'm, because I also like to post and enter games right before lock, because I also find that you get a lot of soft action. And so I'm trying to get all that soft action I can, but if I'm doing that and messing with my lineups, like I just feel like a, you know, straight crackhead. You but know, like I'm when like, you do that, I'm like showered and in my sweats and just like my hair's everywhere. And, you know, I'm just like, I'm a complete disaster. Like I can't handle it. But on DraftKings, the way the my lineups page works and like when you're entering lineups, it's a pain in the butt that like, so like on the head to head, when you enter, like you'll have to scroll down and find your cash lineup sometimes. Yes. Where I just like having one lineup that I'm entering into everything. And then I just hit edit entries, download, and I have it all offline where it's, you know, got each contest formulated already so that when I hit that upload, that's when the my lineup page gets bulky, you know, with however many lineups I uploaded versus trying to enter games with a hundred or, you know, 20, 50, however many lineups I had that week. Yeah, I hear you. I, I don't know if you know this, Nate, but uh, rotogrinders.com, <clears throat> corporate plug, does a Chrome extension that you can like name your lineups and label them and it makes things a little easier. Just, just throwing that out. Still there. in DraftKings, when you, when you are in the, like um, if you're in the lobby and you're looking for games and you hit enter in the head to head, like when you're you trying to, to like, select, you have to scroll down. Yeah. And they, and they never like put your lineup. I'm like, okay, it's lineup eight. You know, and they never like just make it the first lineup or let you change that. It's it's actually yeah, a little it's bit like I have one in a hundred entries and all these other ones are my GPP, which is like two entries. And right. all I have to scroll through all these. So if DK made it better, I'd probably do a different way of doing it, but it's just it works for me. It's my process. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit about our lineups. Uh we both had fairly good days. Uh you ended up with one seventy four, you said? Mm-hmm. So you actually outscored me. I ended up with one sixty seven, which was fine and cashed most, most things, uh, but uh, not all things. And I easily could have cashed all things if I weren't such a fish. So we'll talk about that a little bit, but uh, let's talk about quarterbacks, what we did at QB. By the way, uh, I should mention right off the top, Davis had the best line of, of us all. He uh, scored 190 points, and that's the last we'll talk about Davis Maddock and his fishy lineup because it was actually bad. But let's talk mm-hmm. about ours. Uh, what did you do a quarterback? Uh, this was the first week I think in cash that I went away from the Bucks QB and I went uh, Lamar Jackson. I just felt like that. I mean, the spot Oakland, I mean, I don't know. I just felt good about it. Yeah. Um, I, I, Lamar was my other option for cash. I ended up going with Jameis for mm-hmm. what was he? 300 more. It was six K yeah. versus 5.7. 
They were like the only two quarterbacks I looked at. Yeah, I I liked Jameis just a little better. There were a couple of reasons. Number one, I was playing Gus Edwards, and I didn't want to play both Lamar and Gus Edwards because there's not a lot of correlation there, meaning that sometimes you can get, you know, QBs and RBs like playing Goff and Gurley together is great because you're like covering all the team's touchdowns because they have big totals, and Gurley catches touchdowns. So a lot of times they can work together. But I felt like Gus, who doesn't really catch, and, uh, and, and Jackson, who doesn't really throw, they're kind of like on different paths. It's like one or the other. And so I didn't want to have both of them. So for me, because mm-hmm. I was playing Gus, I, I like Jameis, and I thought he had a better chance at a bonus, uh, definitely the passing bonus. I didn't think Lamar, even though he did what he did last week, was not like that big of a, a percentage play to hit the rushing bonus. That's, that's asking a lot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I went with Jameis, and they both ended up scoring about the same. Jameis had almost 26, and Lamar had, like, 22 and change. Yeah, yeah, very similar. Yeah, very similar. So, I thought those were the easy plays. I think I – I didn't see how owned Luck was, but I think he was the other guy that people played quite a bit, and he had a fine game. Um, yeah, he had a lot of ownership. Yeah, I just didn't have the money for him, but, yeah, he, he, was, a, he was a good play. Uh, the interesting thing is, is – getting into some of this other stuff, what we did at receiver and running back. Uh, let's see. Luck had 28.6 and he was mm-hmm. 21% owned. Yeah. So uh, Jameis was 18.6 and Lamar uh, was really close. 27.4. So Lamar was mm-hmm. the, the overwhelming chalk there. Um, but let's talk about running backs. Uh, why don't you start off and tell me what you did at RB here. And, and, and really – what you also didn't do, how you came mm-hmm. to your decision with, with the three backs you used. Yeah, for me, I think my favorite back of the week was McCaffrey. Uh, I think I was pretty set on him all week. Um, from a price perspective, Saquon, I had higher projected raw points, but taking in salary, I thought like CMC was the lock of the week for me. Um, obviously, this game was his ceiling. I mean, I wasn't expecting this for sure, but – the amount of workload that he has in this offense is, I mean, he just wasn't priced for it. Um, and so I felt best about uh, McCaffrey, you know, under 8K. Um, I mean, yeah, I just thought he was a lock here. Uh, I think he ended spot. up having the, I had, the ninth highest PPR score in like the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even – but it was just when you think of the touches that he – I mean, you know, he's going to get, you know – 15 plus rushes he's gonna get you know a 24 25 percent target share I mean the dude just gets so much workload I mean he ended up getting 17 rushing attempts so he ended up having 60 percent of the team's rushing attempts with 37 percent of the team's target share I mean it was or 36 percent I mean it's it's nuts when you get a running back who has you know a quarter of his team's target share and has the big playability that he does this isn't like Jarvis Landry getting the ball. I mean, this is Christian McCaffrey can make big plays. And so uh, we definitely saw his upside here. But um, then the other guy I went that was chalky was Gus Edwards. I think he was, you know, we talked about it. There was kind of two guys and it was either Gus or, um, or Adams. I chose not to be on Adams solely because of just target share projections. Like the thing about the Adams thing was like, there was a report that came out, but like this was happening already. Right. The report yeah, wasn't not getting anything. To me, I looked at it and I'm like, okay, last week he had a 60% target or he had a 60% rushing attempt share in this. What do we like? 
this report, which swayed the ownership, didn't seem to sway much from a projection standpoint for me. Completely so it agree. It's like, it's like, you know, no shit. Like, of course he's the lead back. We know he's the lead back. He already was a lead back. What's, what's the boggle? Exactly, exactly. And so I didn't really – I mean, I just didn't see him getting any targets uh, in this spot because I still thought Clement and um, Smallwood would um, – you know, and if the Eagles did get behind I, – I, I just – I didn't feel good about Adams the way that other people did solely because of that report. So I went um, Edwards. And then the one play that I went that was pretty low owned, which I was kind of surprised about was Mixon. Um, Mixon was the, I think the, the guys that I was looking at in the six K range were, was like the Chubb Mixon Fournette range. Um, And I just felt like, I mean, with Chubb, he's so yards per carry dependent because he doesn't get the, the the target share that you know with Duke getting all that work so I just felt Mixon was a better play because of that because I I felt like he had you know similar rushing attempt share to most of these guys and with no AJ Green I figured he was going to be needed to be relied on a little bit more so I kind of had a if then situation where if AJ Green was in I probably would have gone Boyd and if AJ Green was out I kind of wanted Mixon um so I went Mixon uh McCaffrey and Edwards so, what did you do? So, uh, God, this is the time I have to talk about this. This is really painful because I have to admit on a podcast that I am just the world's biggest fish, and this is so bad. So, I had Saquon, which was incredible. Sharp. And I had Gus Edwards, and I thought Edwards was a good play because, again, you know, I wanted one of the Baltimore guys. I either wanted – uh, Lamar and you know somebody else, or I wanted Edwards and Jameis, and I just thought Edwards and Jameis worked, especially when Collins was ruled out. That really kind of kept the picture clear for me. I'm like, okay, Edwards is going to be the battering ram guy, so I feel really good about that. I think he's going to get a lot of work. Good, good chance for the bonus, and indeed he did get the bonus. But here's what I did, Nate. That was the fishiest thing that maybe I've ever done. I don't know. It's top five is I played I had I had Saquon, McCaffrey and Gus and I ended up pivoting to James Conner instead of McCaffrey. And I just thought they projected out fairly same in terms of the touches etc, you know, Conner. I, I just kept thinking, god, if Le'Veon Bell was 7800 in this spot, I would never fade him. And Conner is fairly close to Le'Veon Bell. So, you know, let's rock it. Like Pittsburgh's hot, they've been doing great and I liked uh, McCaffrey quite a bit, but I also thought that I wanted an option. The tiebreaker was I wanted an option to pivot to Eckler in the, in the afternoon. If, if uh, something happened with MG three uh, Schefter said he was supposed to play, but you never know what's going to happen until the pregame warmups are over and, and they actually say it. So I just, I just left myself that out. I thought there was extra equity in that out and I lost out on a 50 point day. 52, 53 from Christian McCaffrey. And I got 12 and a half points from James freaking Connor. I'm on tilt, Nate. I am tilting so hard. I was tilting all day. Every catch from McCaffrey, every long break off, easy touchdowns from McCaffrey. I'm just like, ah, just freaking out is the stone worse, bro. I'm so stupid. Here's what I will say. I think, you know, we talked a lot. I mean, I think the McCaffrey thing with getting Saquon, like, this could have gone 
this could have gone the other way too. I mean, this could have gone Saquon putting up the putting up the fifty-two burger and McCaffrey putting up a thirty or twenty burger and everybody tilting fading Saquon. I really don't think the Saquon versus um, McCaffrey is that bad. If you would have faded both of them, I think I would have said the the Connor thing was bad. But the reality is like. I don't know. To f- the, you put up a 166 while fading a 52 point game, like, and still cash. Like, you Bro. should feel pretty. <laughs> I mean, but because here, but here's the thing. Like, I had the right lineup construction. You know, I figured out the yeah. li- the right lineup construction. I figured out all the good price points. When I finally set my lineup, I said, "This is the lineup." I feel so good about this. I started playing extra volume. I started putting in more volume than usual because I'm like, dude, I have it. I figured it out. This is great. Everything's golden. Um, you know, and, and I would have put up more than 200 points in cash if I had just kept McCaffrey. And so I had a really good day in cash. Uh, 167 was more than enough to win most of my games, but I haven't like calculated it, but I feel like it's the difference between like an 80% and a hundred percent. And at the end of the season, that ends up being a big deal, you know? So I'm, I'm pretty bummed that I made that choice. It, It was just, it was just fishy, man. I'm just a fish. What can I say? Yeah, I, I was – yeah, I, I mean, the Connor thing, I don't know. You, you, I get the Le'Veon thing, but I just think McCaffrey – I don't know. I was – I just wasn't getting off McCaffrey all week. That was – that was – I, I wish you were a better friend, Nate. I wish you were a better friend. Dude, I told you all week. The first lineup you sent me, I literally said, no McCaffrey. And then all day you asked me, McCaffrey or Connor? And I said, CMC. Davis said, CMC. We all yeah, but, but you guys are fish. So I was like, okay, these guys are CMC. Good. I can just go with Connor. You should have, you should have reached through the, the, the screen and just said, Sammy, don't be an idiot. Don't be a damn guppy. Jam in McCaffrey. He's the number one play of the week. Everything says he is just, just don't be an idiot. And, and oh, I have nobody to blame but myself. God. Yeah. yeah so bad. Thing, so bad. Like this would have been like just the most lit thing ever. Just like 200 plus in cash. And, instead, and it has to be double pain because your Steelers lost as well. In oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. Nate, thank you for bringing that up. That's, that's a, uh, I appreciate that. You are a good friend. Forget I everything I said about I, you. I got to tell you, Sammy. Oh God. I'm going to pull out like all well, of my hair right now. Well, let's get into receivers. Cause I think there was one receiver that we felt great about from a value perspective that I think most of us were on in DJ Moore from a, I mean, he just like from a value perspective, considering his ceiling, I felt like he was just a great play and we got him. I think we both had, we both had DJ Moore uh, at four point. What was he? 4.6. Yeah, so DJ Moore at 4.6. We both had him. I then went Keenan Allen um, as my pay-up guy. Um, and then for my value wide receiver, which I know you thought was fish, and after the results might have been fish, uh, Kendrick Bourne for me was like, <laughs> dude, San Francisco had like no nobody alive. Nate. And I felt like this was another one of those like Maurice Harris things where it's like, Nate. okay, Dante Pettis is not going to see 10 targets. It's going to be Kittle seeing 30% of the target share, and you're going to get Kendrick Bourne at 3.8 with like 20-plus percent of the target share on a team that is going to be down and having to chuck the ball. Tampa Bay has no defense. Jameis is going to put up a – I mean, I just – I don't know. I projected so many pass attempts. I just thought Bourne was going to have – yeah. 
Nate. I didn't see this coming. I, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't have possibly foreseen that Bourne put up a zero. Did he get a zero? No, nah, he had like three targets, two for 27. I mean, he had 4.7, so he didn't kill me, but still hurt. <laughs> Bro, the other I, thing was, like, Kittle didn't even smash to make up for it. Like, I figured, okay, at least if Bourne, like, does disappoint, Kittle's going to go for a 30-burger. Like, Kittle only put up 11. Kittle had, like, one of the most tilting games ever because I think Kittle had – what did Kittle have? The highest – like, the second highest whopper on the week. Like, Kittle had – I mean, Kittle got so much volume and it just wasn't there. Yeah, he just, um, ran, he just ran pretty bad. Yeah, Kittle saw 12 targets uh, for – yeah, 37.5% target share and 38% of the air yard share of this offense. Like, for a tight end, I mean, that was second on the week, any receiver. Man, you know? you're, you're, you're burying the lead here. Bourne was the fishiest freaking play I could possibly think of. I don't know how you got to, to Bourne in cash games. What's his first name again? Is it Kendrick? Kendrick. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's nobody in San Francisco. Bro, that is insane that you did that. <laughs> like, insane. I can't believe you scored more points than me. <laughs> like, Christian McCaffrey bailed you out, but, like, that's, that's severely bad. I projected, uh, Bjorn, I, I projected Bourne to have above 20% target share. Why? What? Because Why? there was no other guys to go to. I projected Kittle with over 30%, Pettis to have uh, 16%, Use check, Trent Taylor, Matt Breida, and Garrett Selleck, there was nobody else that the ball was going to go to. So when you start taking out all of the guys that they had, the, the targets have to go somewhere. And then when you look at it, it's not about who the player is. It's about the fact that volume is volume. And I don't care who you are at 3.9, if you're going to see 20% of your team's targets, I want you. And it didn't end up being born. It ended up being Pettis for this game. Like, you know, Pettis was the one who ended up getting the 20%. What did the target share actually end up being? So, yeah, Pettis saw the 20% target share where Breida and then saw a little bit more. Bourne mate, saw. Mate, let me, let me tell you what you do. You drop down at defense and you play an actual receiver. That's what you do. No, the but, other guy I was going to play was Anunwa. So, it was either him or Anunwa. I wasn't going to Anunwa that. was like 7 for 73. Anunwa was okay. But Anunwa was the exact same play. Terrible receiver, terrible offense, just had, just had nobody else for the ball to go to. I mean, I know what Anunwa's first name is. It's Quincy. So that's a, that's a leg up on, on Kendrick Bourne. Anunwa in this spot was very similar, like projected as, as Bourne. I just, uh, I just, I, I can't. You just can't have more weeks. Here. You just have more weeks of thinking of Anunwa as a receiver. If anything, Bourne's target projection going into this game was higher. What did What did Bourne do last week? Did he do anything? In week, uh, let me pull it up. Uh, week eleven, Bourne had. Oh, they were on a bye in week eleven. Yeah, they were on a bye week eleven. Uh, Bourne had six targets. Yeah, he saw 16% of the target share. Yeah. So, I mean, six targets for 78 air yards. I'll take that at, at 3.9. Nate, I think we, you just need to – And that was with Goodwin. That was with Goodwin in. Bro. This was with to, no Goodwin. No, you need to come to terms that you're a fish. Just, just admit it. Just say it out loud. Say it out loud with me. Say, I'm a fish. I'm a fish. Playing two yes. San Francisco guys was bad. <laughs> <You're> so bad. 
<laughs> so you, you uh, okay, so you went uh, Keenan Allen, who I thought was a good play. Yeah. And Kendrick Bourne. Jesus. And then DJ Moore. And DJ Moore. So I also went DJ Moore. And then I middled my other two receivers. I went T.Y. Hilton and Emmanuel Sanders, who both uh, did quite well. Um, you know, Hilton's not the kind of guy I love to play in cash games, but I think that, you know, we think of him as this boomer bust kind of high A-dot guy, and his, and his A-dot has fallen this year, as Andrew Lux has. So I think he's a little more reliable, you know, in those home games. And, and he ended up having a great day. You know, he's seven for 125, didn't get in the zone. Emmanuel Sanders, I thought, was the same way, where he's just clearly that team's number one receiver. Pittsburgh doesn't defend the pass well. Um, and so I thought Sanders was in a really good spot, and he went seven for 86 and a touchdown and almost Emmanuel, had, like, another really long touchdown. Like, he was really close to having a giant day. Sanders should have had a giant day. Sanders had the highest opportunity on the week. He had a uh, 50 – what did he have? 42.8% of his team's target share for 58% of his team's air yard share. I mean, he had one of the highest whoppers we've seen all year. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, he was Sanders just, was a smash play. He was, he was solid. I should have gotten him in cash. I felt so good about him. It, it was just one of those things that, like, he was just underpriced. He's a legit number one receiver, especially with Demarius gone from there. And, I mean, he's 5,500. I thought that was just a severe underprice. And, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the plays we didn't Let's talk make. about T.Y. a little bit. Because I, I looked at T.Y. a lot. I heard the ADOT argument from a lot of people this week. But, like, the reality is over the past couple of weeks, as Luck has gotten healthy and has, as T.Y.'s production has started going back up, he's going back to that same above 10 ADOT receiver that we've always known him to be. The, the reason his ADOT is skewed is because – the first three weeks of the season, week one, two, and three, he had 11 targets, 11 targets, and 10 targets. And his ADOT on those games was 9.5, 5.5, and 7.5. So, like, we have to realize that that was when Luck was, like, severely still injured. And, like, that was not the Luck and TY that we see today, which over the last three weeks, 10, uh, week 10, week 11, week 12, we've seen ADOTs of 10.1, 12.2, and 11.9, where – I mean, I think you're still going to see wild variance in TY from a catch percentage, uh, from a catch percentage from a week to week standpoint. And I understand that he's going to see nine to 10 targets a game, but like he's going to see games where he goes three for you know, 60. Three for, three yeah. Three and no TD. And I just think from a cash wide receiver, when you're paying what we're paying now for Hilton, I just think there's better guys like, like Emmanuel in that spot that I would rather play. Yeah. So I, I, I couldn't get on T.Y. compared to some of the other receivers that were close to him. Like, I, I couldn't play T.Y. over, over Keenan Allen, even though there was a 600-degree – or $600. No, I, I would have I preferred uh, Keenan Allen. Like, if I had yeah. 600 extra bucks, I would have played Allen over T.Y. Yeah. I just think, like, T.Y. I think is a little high variance, and I think in cash – I mean, he was a great play, though. I mean, this I mean, week. When, 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 he's, when he's at home, like, I feel a lot more comfortable. I, I don't think I've ever played T.Y. Hilton on the road. There's just, there's just something about that. You know, he, he averages, like, 80 yards per game in his yeah. career at home. I mean, it's just, it's just a good situation. So, you know, I felt, I felt good about those three receivers. I thought they were each their team's, like, number one receiver. 
Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. And yep. they were, you know, 55, 65, and 4,600, you know? Yep. And, and so let's, let's segue that into the plays we didn't make that I think sunk a lot of other teams. Number one was prioritizing Odell Beckham. A lot of teams prioritized Odell Beckham. And then a lot of teams played Marlon Mack at running back. And I had Mack in my cash lineup for a good portion of the week. So I don't, like, think that was bad per se. He actually left the game with a concussion. Uh, which cost him a, a decent amount of usage, et cetera. But, you know, the Colts, like, didn't roll in this game kind of like we thought they would. I think they were seven-and-a-half-point home favorites. So mm-hmm. I thought it set up fairly well for Mac. But I, I don't know. Talk to me a little bit about how you viewed Mac coming into this, this game uh, from a cash perspective. I've always been lower on Mac than the field uh, over the last couple of weeks because the reality is Naheem Hines is still going to be the guy who gets all that target, the target share out there. And so, and they also um, share some work with Jordan Wilkins also. They have, a, exactly. they have a third guy in there. They have a third guy in there. And so when you, when Mac was down at, what was he before? Like 4.5, it was back when the same argument when we, when Chubb was much lower, I was fine playing Chubb because of his rushing attempt share. Like if you, if you have a guy who's got 60% of a rushing attempt share and single digit target share projection. I'm fine with him if he's under 5k. But once you cross that 5k threshold, you need to be able to have a target share of double digit projection or I can't roster you on DraftKings. I just think that there's there's so much downside to that where with guys like Mixon, guys like um Connor, DJ McCaffrey, Saquon, when we get into these running backs who have, you know, opportunity to have what did uh, Christian McCaffrey have? Thirty percent of the target share. You're Bro, never going to see a game. He hit the straight double bonus. But you're double. never going to see a game where Marlon Mack sees thirty percent of his team's targets. Like he just won't right. happen. Right. So like, there's other guys out there where I don't know. I I think I think you got to be careful about playing these running backs who you're relying on such like when you just do the numbers and you go, okay, I project 16 carries for him and three targets. Okay. So you're, you're, you're relying on a crazy high yards per carry plus a crazy high touchdown projection for him to reach 20 points. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I I think you only want, and and DraftKings forces you to do this. You got to punt somewhere. So I'm fine having one of those guys, but I agree that you want it to be a Gus Edwards or a Josh Adams at, you know, around the 4k range not a guy at 5.5. And you, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people went uh, Adams and Edwards, which mm-hmm. actually ended up working out okay, but I just don't think in general, I think that's run good. I don't think you want to do that. Like Adams like got there late, you know, he mm-hmm. was, he was really struggling. And then he got a touchdown and a two pointer right afterwards to like salvage it. But other than that, he was not good. And uh yeah, I think that was a little bit of a luck box. Like, I don't think that's the, the right line of construction. When, like you said, you can get two running backs that are basically number two wide receivers and number one running backs in one player. And you have yep. to have those guys. Saquon smash, McCaffrey smash, James Conner, 
not not as much of a smash, but you know what I mean. But, like, but the reason is because they are never out of it. So it's not only right. because it gives you an access to a higher ceiling; it, it also you gives you access to a higher floor. Because even with James Conner, I look at last week as almost a floor game for James Conner, where he literally had like one of the worst game scripts you could possibly have last week. Where and he almost still re- reached twenty points if he would have just caught that ball for the touchdown. Yeah, you know, like in the worst possible game. Like Connor's still going to get you ten to twenty points. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, in, in this game, he had ninety-five total yards and four catches, and yeah. was not even used. You know, yeah. like it was crazy that they just they started blocking with him later in the game. They didn't even send him out on routes. He was just blocking, and I was so freaking tilted. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. And and even then, you know, he he gets twelve and a half points, which isn't great, but like he has outs. And if you're running back who only rushes the ball and doesn't catch it. If his team falls behind or something bad happens, you have no outs. You're drawing dead. And you're never drawing dead with backs, I think is your point, who also catch the ball. They can succeed in any game script. Yep. Yep. So you you need that in cash. Um, Say or uh, Odell Beckham, I think, was – I thought OBJ was a great play. But in terms of lineup construction, I just think it's so much more obvious that you go with Saquon Barkley – than you do Odell Beckham because Saquon can have a receiving game like, like Beckham, uh, but he also rushes the ball. He's just, his floor is so much higher. And frankly, his ceiling is just as high. Like it's not even a question to me. Yeah. I I had Odell in tournaments, but there was no way I was going to have Odell in cash and not Saquon. There was, I don't think I could have seen a construction where you could have had both, you know? So I, yeah. You, you never want two giants anyway, is the yeah. point. Yeah. So, I, so, so uh, tight end, uh, you ended up paying up for Kittle, which I do not think was a bad play, even though it no, didn't work Kittle, out. Kittle, I mean, he was, he was going to see 30% of his team's targets here. At tight end position, like, I don't know. I thought the Kittle thing was, was – this was the spot. Maybe I should have gone to Ertz, but whatever. I, Kittle, Ertz, those were two guys that I, I felt okay with paying up for. Splitting, yeah, honestly, you're splitting hairs. I know that Ertz was like the TE1 this week, and that worked out really well. But like you said, uh, Kittle had like the highest weighted opportunity rating. He had 12 yeah, targets. Kittle was the second highest weighted opportunity rating on the week of any receiver. Yeah. You know? I, so I, I don't think that's bad process. I generally don't pay up for tight end, and I didn't again. I went with Cameron Brait. I thought we just had a – you know, a fine play with Brait. I didn't think he was amazing, but I was just like, dude, if Jameis throws, I, I knew the moment I locked my lineup in, I'm like, if Jameis throws one to Brait, I'm making money. Off. And he did it on like the first drive or something. I was just like, dude, I'm making money today. It's happening. And, uh, you know, and it did happen. So that was great. Um, it, in general, I think the challenge with paying up for tight end is if your tight end doesn't smash, you're way behind the eight ball. Like, you're putting so much on that tight end. And again, I thought Kittle was a great spot. This was a great spot to do it if you were going to. So I don't, I don't just have a hard and fast rule. Every slate is different. But in general, I don't do it. I liked my construction. And I wasn't, like, paying for a boner at tight end. I thought Bray was yeah. quite a good play. So Yeah, I, I mean, I, I knew Kittle had an opportunity to sink me all week. I, I literally – I think I was talking to you about it. Like, yeah. the construction with Kittle, like – I could totally just go down to, you know, Nick Vanette and then get somebody else that I felt better at at running back. But 
I just ended up going to Kittle just because, like we talked about with San Francisco, I just got high on the target projection. Yeah, but you could do something. I mean, I think you could almost do something like, I don't know if the prices quite work out, but you could have gone Hilton and Brait instead of Kittle and Kendrick Bourne. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And for me, that's just like, I think I choose the Hilton side. I'm trying not to be results oriented, but I still think I take the the Hilton Brait side on that. Yeah, I think even you, beforehand. Yeah, I think you might have to like take a hit at at DST to do that, something like that. A couple hundred. Yeah, I mean it. It pretty close to works out. I think it actually does work out because Kittle was like almost three thousand more than Brait. Yeah, Brait was three seven, and Kittle was two uh, six point two, so that's twenty five hundred. Right, and then born to Hilton was like an extra three hundred, I think. No, it was like twenty six hundred. Yeah, well, yeah, it was it was pretty close. You would have had to gone. You would have had to make a small concession at like DST, which I'm always down to do. I ended up playing the Eagles um, at defense special teams. I generally don't pay up. I didn't pay up for Baltimore. I didn't pay up for the Chargers. They both ended up having good days. Obviously, Baltimore had like the smash day. Uh, I paid for the Eagles at 2.4, I think. They got four points. They didn't even have a good day, but they got four points, and they allowed me to do everything else that I wanted to. They were like a 5.5-point home favorite. They were the chalk, too, I think, right? They were the no, highest owned? 8.6. Oh, okay. Yeah. I had most – I think I probably had most exposure to them in tournaments. I, I just felt most comfortable with the Chargers' defense. Uh, this week, I really wanted either the Chargers or the Ravens. Um, got the Chargers, and you know, was still able to like the rest of my lineup. So that's where I went. I just thought with Joe Bosa back, I, Chargers were in a smash spot here. So I felt, I felt good about it. But I normally don't like paying up for defense. So if there was a position that I should have gone down to, it would have been here. You know, yeah, I, you know, in that situation, I would have taken the thousand dollar hit at DST and just not played Bourne. And I know your other options there weren't great, but like, you know, get down from Bourne and, and just do something else, you know, play John Ross. Cause you like Ross a decent amount. Yeah, I was high on Ross, Ross and then too. get off of, you know, somebody in the middle and get up to Hilton, something like that, I think was, was probably a little more optimal. Um, trying not to be yeah. like results oriented, but just like the way I saw the slate, I felt like I nailed it. And that's what hurts me so much is I really felt like I nailed construction I was just on it. I felt so good. I thought that Emmanuel Sanders, Hilton Moore was just so great with Barkley, McCaffrey, and Edwards. And then I freaking fished it and played James Conner over McCaffrey and just cost myself like the monster day. It's so bad. So bad. God. Having, have, having McCaffrey and Saquon in the same lineup would have been, would have made you feel just a <laughs> lot. So Your cash games would have, I mean, Oh, Nate, Nate, why am I you so had, bad? You had it. You I had, had it. it. I had the nuts. I had the cash game nuts. And I was like, no, I got to be able to pivot to Austin Eckler. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, um, let's, let's talk about some takeaways, Nate. Uh, what did you learn from this slate, either construction-wise or just takeaways from the games that, that you thought was you know, important stuff? Again, I think I – I think I got a little bit locked on uh, the the San Francisco thing. I think I didn't realize enough. Like the reality is when you change your projection for target share on a team, as much as I did with the San Francisco team, 
you're adding volatility. And so when you take on both of those guys, because the reality is there's going to be somebody like Pettis who comes out and gets the third, the 20% target share instead of, instead of born, I shouldn't have gone both San Francisco guys with that volatility. That's just not a cash play. So even though I felt individually good with their target projections, uh, I, I think I need to do a better job at looking at the volatility that I'm bringing onto my lineup instead of just the individual volatility of the players. Yeah. Uh, something that I, I took away, I mean, Cleveland is doing really, really good since Hugh Jackson left. Like, dude, really, their play calling is so fun. The Nick Chubb wheel route was like. Yeah. Dude, that was hot. That touchdown was so fire. Dude, just leaping over a full, like a, like a wide receiver and, and taking the ball around the defender and bringing it in was just great. Mayfield looks great. They used Njoku in some fun ways. Obviously, he got that kind of that fun touchdown where he carried everybody into the end zone or, or got pushed, uh, however you want to see it. But, you know, they used Chubb. Chubb had 30-plus 30 plus, uh, 30 touches, and they also made it a point to get him the ball through the air. We saw it the previous week where they threw a quick screen to him near the goal line, a middle screen, and he scored. This time they – through the wheel route to him. I think that their offense is a lot better. This is a talented team. Everybody knows that Cleveland's talented, but their coaching held them back and, and it's starting not to. And I think it's actually really interesting. And Landry is like, ever since uh, Hugh left, I think Landry has seven, five and five targets. He is not the focal point of the passing game anymore. And we need to realize that even though his like seasonal air yards and target share numbers still look really good. I, I, don't think he's that caliber right now. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I, I would agree with that. And I think you always have to be careful of, and it's the same thing like I was talking about earlier with the TY a dot numbers is don't just look at your seasonal averages when something about the context has drastically changed. There's a, there's a reason why there's more signal and most recent is because uh, if context has changed, there's a reason for that. If there's an injury, if there's a, you know, situational change or a coaching change, you have to look at recent stuff. So um, be aware of that and just realize that seasonal numbers can lie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Frisco Josh, I think this was on Davis's take cast, was talking about how he really sees this season as cyclical. And even though we like to look at like big samples, the reality is anything beyond three, four weeks, it tends to be really noisy as well. So he really looks at like the last three, four weeks and, and waits what happened before that quite a bit less. And mm-hmm. I think that's actually pretty sharp. So you know, when I go to airyards.com, like, I think it's, you know, a sharp thing. Obviously, you want to know what the season stuff is, but give a lot more weight to, like, you know, just filter for the last four weeks and start looking at that stuff and give that a lot more weighting than, than you would just the whole season numbers. Mm-hmm. So. Do you want to get into showdown a little bit? Uh, yeah. I, I, I think that's uh, what corporate wants us to do, so I suppose we should do that. First off, Davis to – yeah, tell, tell me a little bit uh, while I'm bringing it up about how your showdown slate went between Minnesota and Green Bay. Uh, well, I mean, I, I went um, – I mean, there was a clear misprice on this slate that I think, you know, it was like the DraftKings bringing people in play of the, of the week, which was the Jimmy Graham at 18 – what was he, 1,800? I can't remember what he was. Yeah, he was like eighteen hundred. I, I actually didn't play this showdown slate. So. It was it was a clear misprice of of Jimmy Graham, and obviously he has the broken thumb, and he has um, you know a bunch of other injuries he's battling. But I was pretty high on Jimmy Graham because Jimmy Graham and captain or just in lineups at all allowed you to get up to the 
Devontae, Thielen, uh, Cousins lineups that we wanted to get to. So um, I think I, I built around Graham in this spot. So I think he was, you know, and then I faded Rodgers in most of, you know, normally I'm a pretty much like lock almost both quarterbacks, but uh, I, I had a decent amount of Rodgers fade uh, on this slate just because this Minnesota defense is – yeah, is, and, and QB QB McCarthy, not good, dude. Yeah, I mean, I hate the Packers, so I like love watching McCarthy like tank it. But um, <laughs> as a Bears fan, but like as a football fan, it's sad watching Aaron Rodgers like get misused like this. Uh, imagine, imagine if they had Nagy as their coach. Oh my gosh, would, would Nagy can make Chase Daniel and Mitchell Trubisky, dude. Yeah, Rodgers would be. I, I mean, it would be un- unbelievable. Their yeah. offense is just so squalor. It's just such a dumpster fire, bro. It's just not good. I hate it. I, I have Rodgers in my most important seasonal fantasy league, and I'm like, dude, I need to start playing Lamar Jackson over him. This you is, do. <laughs> it's, you do. It's time to let go. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the showdown slate. Obviously, it's a terrible gross game, Tennessee at Houston. Uh, there's only one reason to even watch it, and that's you know to smash showdown and be a complete degenerate. So talk to me a little bit about how you see this slate. And particularly, let's start with the Tennessee side. I know you like Corey Davis. I like Corey Davis. Do you see, besides Corey Davis, like any reason to have actual Tennessee Titans in your lineup? I mean, the Mariota thing, we've seen Mariota in seasons past have an upside. And obviously, we haven't seen that upside be realized a lot this year. Uh, But he's been fighting some injury and – I could see uh, Mariota versus Houston team. Actually, this could be game one of those games that he gets it. So, uh, depending on some Mariota news and stuff like that, and how, on how his elbow nerve thing, which I've heard good news on all week. I haven't looked at it recently, but I've heard good news on all week that it wasn't in a full reaggravation. Yeah, he's, he's been uh, if yeah, if Mariota's fine, I, I'm I'm going to have a lot of Mariota exposure. Yeah, I mean, he could, he could certainly get rushing yards regardless of, of how he's doing in the passing game. I'm, I'm really sketch on the running backs. I also like Johnny Smith uh, a decent amount. You know, he's been seeing a lot more work, and he's been doing good with the work. And I think that's a good thing from the coaching staff that when a young player gets more work and he does well with it, they continue to give it to him and game plan for him. Um, but I'm really sketched out by what's going on in their backfield. You know, they said that, Last week, uh, they're going to give more carries to Derrick Henry. They're like, Derrick Henry's earned it. We're going to give him more time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it looked like Deion Lewis had kind of supplanted him as the clear lead back, and then he just gacked on his face. You know, he just, like, mm-hmm. completely fell on his face uh, all, all the whilst while we were playing him in cash games, which was, you know, probably a bad thing by us. But, I mean, yeah. that was – that's that's something that it's like okay is this coach speak or is this like just going back to to something that's you know a a split a split decision and the thing about Lewis is we like him because of his passing game work but he hasn't been getting that much passing game work even when he's getting so many snaps so I actually think if I'm gonna roster one of them like it might be Derrick Henry and just try to like get a touchdown what I mean what do you think about this I could definitely see it. I think in showdown, like what I tend to do, and this is just because like the way that I, I view things is I end up focusing a lot more on who, like from a receiver standpoint, I think is going to have that ceiling just because like when these games go gross, that's where it goes. And so when I look at this game, I'm going to try to like figure out who 
from this Houston, Tennessee, like these tight ends and stuff, you know, like the, the Luke Stalker, the Cameron, the Jordan Thomas, like who's got Ryan Griffin. Like if I can parse out here and see any signal, like that's where I'm going to be looking because I'm going to load up on the, the guys that I feel most confident in, which is obviously going to be like at the top four that I'm going to have ownership of is going to be obviously Hopkins, Corey Davis, uh, Kute, uh, and then, you know, mixing in some Taewon Taylor in there. But those are, you know, I, I think trying to figure out some of these receivers side, cause I have no idea what to do with these running backs. Yeah. It's uh, just what, been a mess. what do you think about captaining uh, on this slate? Is it, because obviously we're, we're going to play 100% Hopkins. I don't think that he's worth fading in any way, shape, or form. Uh, is he a guy that you'd consider captaining in this spot, even though it's super expensive? Or do you want to kind of go cheaper so that you can get him and some of the, you know, both quarterbacks, et cetera? Uh, I think captaining Hopkins is going to be tough. I don't know how much you're going to – what like what punts we're going to be able to have to make captaining Hopkins work um like even going down to captaining like a watson or Mariota, which is saving just a little bit of money i feel like i can still punt with a couple guys and make it work so i think like i'm trying to look at like a good hopkins captain team and i can't really find it currently no you have, to, you have to basically say there's not going to be a lot of scoring and you have to you have to start talking about kickers and dsts yeah so like I don't know if I feel good about that right now. I think like the the maybe I could play some like Jordan Akins, but I it it gets really gross. It's yeah. really bad. So yeah, I mean I, I don't know if we're gonna be able to captain Hopkins. But again, showdown, some of this stuff comes out where it's like, you know, you get inactives and there's a surprise tight end inactive or something like that, and there's a two hundred dollar tight end that you feel like, you know, we can get some targets and I think, you know playing some of those guys like if you played uh st brown tonight that's that's what that would have got you you know if you would have captained him in a couple spots that would have gotten you what you needed on on this showdown just because there wasn't a huge thing for this minnesota game yeah uh thoughts on Corey davis i know you love him and i tend to love him um you know last week in in a game script where they had to throw a lot or they were down and, and should have had to throw a lot he only got four targets how do you kind of view him right now well, I think the the issue with last week is I kind of almost throw it out because Mariota left at half, and it was where um, Gabbert came. Not, in. Yeah, Gabbert came in, and when Gabbert came in, Sharp got all the targets there, um, and I think that was just because Gabbert and Sharp clearly had a little bit more of a connection. Um, if it's Mariota, I feel comfortable projecting Davis for above a twenty five percent, probably somewhere between twenty five and thirty percent target share, um, which is at eighty four hundred, like. Yeah, I don't see a way I can build a lineup without him. He should have the second highest volume on the slate outside of Hopkins, obviously. Um, but, you know, I think he's got – yeah, the ceiling for him at 8400 is hard to touch. I mean, literally, Kut, uh, Kiki is the same price as him on the opposite side, which is, like, just insane to me. Yeah, yeah, you're taking, you're taking uh, Corey Davis all day there. Oh, yeah. Uh, De Demarius Thomas. I mean, he was <laughs> – Davis's great call on the soul cast, you know, last week. Um, ended up with one target, zero catches. Is this, is this a spot where you're going to have some percentage of Thomas in your lineups? No, I think this is the spot where you fade him after last week. Yeah. Um, any any low-priced guys? We'll, we'll, we'll bring it out with that. Any low-priced guys that kind of jump off to you as, as guys that you're going to – be kind of overexposed to salary saver types. 
I mean, I think the, you know, when we get down into the cheap side and the Tennessee side, I'd probably go with, um, I'm probably looking more at the uh, Taiwan Taylor versus the Janu Smith. I think, you know, uh, I think Janu is going to be a little bit more popular. So I think even saving that $600 there and going to Taiwan Taylor, um, I think I probably prefer. He's downgraded to out, bro. Did he just get done? Oh. Yeah, he just he just got tagged for out. So no Taewon Taylor. Uh Tajay Sharp, four point eight. Yeah. The issue with Tajay is I he doesn't you know, if it was Gabbert, I'd be all over Sharp, but Yeah. Well that changes things a little bit. I had him as getting at least a fifteen almost thirteen percent target share. So 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 Nate's gonna have to recalibrate a little bit, folks. Yeah. But um but yeah, I mean, then I guess John is then in play a little bit more just because there's going to be a little more target share to go around. Um, yeah, Tajay comes into play a little bit more at 4.8. He just, after last week, I think he's going to be in for a dip. And so I don't want to buy that now. So I think Corey Davis is the buy after last week because so many people are going to look at that last game and not realize like half of it wasn't a Mariota game. And I think target projections when it's not your quarterback needs to be thrown out. Yeah, I'm I'm just super down on Tennessee, and so what I might do is just go um, Corey Davis, and then some Janu and some Tajay Sharp, and probably not mess around with the with the Tennessee running backs at all. And if they score, they score. But you know, just just really mashing Houston. I think Houston's like probably quite a bit better than Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee's good at all. I think this game's gonna suck. It's gonna be awful. I can easily see like I might have some some. Uh, Houston DST in some spots. I, I generally don't love to play those, but this could be a really ugly game. So, dude, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I think like Mariota and Davis, and then just stacking Houston a thousand different ways with Watson and and Hopkins and and Griffin and whoever you can get in there. Like, I'm I'm totally fine with that. Well, there you have it, guys. Nate Noling played Kendrick Bourne in cash. I played James Conner over Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> We are fish, we are and we fish. still made money. We still made really good money on this uh, slate, Nate. There is still an edge, everybody. There is still an edge in daily fantasy sports. I hope you guys did well this week. Um, we did pretty good, but could have done a lot better if we weren't so bad. Should have done a lot better. Yeah, should have done I a lot better. Born. Thank, thank, thankfully, Davis Maddock was not on this show because his lineup was hot garbage, but he did play Saquon uh, and Christian McCaffrey, so he scored all the points. I'm so glad Davis is in here. I want yeah, to that. yeah, absolutely. But uh, as always, you can follow Nate on Twitter. He's at Nate Noling. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy Reed FI. Davis Maddock. Yeah, you know where he is. He's, he's off tweeting about how Saquon Barkley was a bad draft pick, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he's not wrong. But I digress. This has been the Week 12 Swolecast. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.